Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Clocked In with the Press, hosted at Altman Studios in Brentwood, California. In this podcast, we highlight news stories, individuals, and organizations that deserve your attention. For full news stories and to stay updated on the latest Contra Costa County happenings, you can visit our website and Facebook at thepress.net or Twitter and Instagram at Press Clocked In. Melissa is out sick today, so I have Jake from the sports team to fill in. So we are your hosts, Caitlin Gleason and Jake Menez, clocking in. Before we get into the first story of the day, let's hear a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by Cocoa Farms. Cocoa Farms not only has high quality products, but also a great staff that helps to create a friendly atmosphere. For more information and insight into their menu, visit them online at enjoycocofarms.com. Again, that's enjoycocofarms.com. Thanks again to our sponsor, so let's go ahead and jump right in. First up, a team of seven students from Edna Hill Middle School recently took first place in the 2022 Odyssey of the Mines NorCal State Tournament in the Division II Problem No. 4 Matryoshka Structure Competition. Odyssey of the Mind is a creative problem-solving program involving students from kindergarten through college. Team members work together at a competition to solve a predefined long-term problem and present their solution to it. The team consisting of Jadel Garcia, Haley Jackson, Mara Tukita, McKenna Matthews, Noah Chappette, Jonathan Tandra, and Lillian Velez will now head to the World Finals at Iowa State University on May 30th, but they also need the public's help with a fundraising effort to earn the $13,000 to travel there. To help fund the trip to Iowa State in a mess, the team has set up a GoFundMe, which is linked in the description of the episode. Well, I think the the first thing about that that's interesting is just the the GoFundMe aspect of it. So, is there a reason that the school won't be able to send them on its own volition? Um, I'm pretty sure it is because of the fact that this is technically an extracurricular and it's not something that's part of the curriculum. So, the funding kind of gets a little wonky in that way. They would like to be able to gather funds from, you know, not just parents but also from the community. Um, in the same way that you know, if like your kids softball team were to be able to make it to a specific high-end tournament um, that softball team you know gets funding from the parents but it would be great if the community could help out with that funding as well so the parents don't have to foot the entire bill um, and that's kind of the idea behind being able to gather the GoFundMe so this way the kids are able to go to Iowa. It allows the community to be involved in this in some capacity to exactly. show their support. Exactly. The community kind of gets the chance to sponsor these kids being able to solve these different problems because I was reading about the problem that they solved um, and it was really complicated and I had to read through the description of their problem multiple times to finally actually get it. Um, but it's, it's really impressive what these kids are actually doing. So if anybody wants to, you know, take part in giving that sponsorship to the kids, then they once more can go to the link in the description um, to the GoFundMe and they can check it out for themselves. So really, before we move on from the story, mm. can you, you said you looked at the problem. Can you tell us a little bit about it just for yes. anyone listening at home? So the Matryoshka structure, so you have basically, like, have you ever seen babushka dolls? The nesting dolls? Yeah, yeah, nesting dolls. So it has to do with nesting dolls, except you have all of these different sizes. And the point of the problem is to try and make it so this way they all fit together in a particular way. Um, except it's it's much more complicated. Um, like when I say more complicated, I mean like four paragraphs worth of description. But the simplest way of it is it's a way of kind of, it's like geometry almost. And they're trying to find a way to make things fit together in the most logical pattern. And then there was also something about... Um, like a a, a pa- like type of pathing, like de- designing pathing and journeys um, in a mathematic way. So it's very complicated, but also, like I said, very impressive <laughs> for all of these kids. And so it's um, I'm excited to kind of see how they do in Iowa if they're able to get there. Okay, so the idea then is so it's essentially for when they go to Iowa, they'll just have one problem there as well then. 
but it's one I would assume yes, but I don't know the exact, I don't have a concrete answer for you on that one. Next, a fire that started in the bedroom of a home on the 2500 block of Stanford Way in Antioch on Thursday night, March 31st, caused approximately $50,000 worth of damage and displaced the home's residents, according to the Contra Costa Fire Protection District personnel. It took fire crews around 20 minutes to extinguish the blaze, but not before it destroyed the majority of the primary bedroom and its contents. The remainder of the approximately 3,000-square-foot home suffered heavy smoke and water damage. One resident was home when the fire broke out and was able to evacuate safely. No injuries to residents or fire personnel were reported. The fire was declared under control at approximately 8.15 p.m., though crews remained on scene for roughly three hours for mop-up. The cause of the fire is still under investigation. So the first thing I'll say, anybody listening to this story, definitely go to thepress.net and look at the pictures. We had a slideshow on the website about this, and these are just some really interesting pictures. It's very, I mean, number one, the lighting is cool, just from an artistic standpoint, but from the actual dynamicism of it, the uh, the fire and watching the firefighters work is, is incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I know that um, Melissa was the responding reporter Correct, for that yeah. one, so she was on scene and took all of those photos. Really sad situation whenever you see a home's caught on fire, just because that's such a hard thing to recover from. Um, you know, whenever we do have fire stories, I always just feel inclined to to emphasize the importance of fire safety and and things that you need to know about, you know, fire season and fire safety. And even if it's not a forest fire that we deal with, the different, you know, little incidents of fire that we have in town are just kind of important for people to know. All right. We've definitely been reporting on, you know, a higher frequency of fires lately. Not not an insane amount, but certainly more. And I think it's, you know, been an unreasonably warm season so far. We've had not a lot of rain, so it is we're in fire season for sure. If anyone wants to learn more about fire safety and things like that, they can either listen to the podcast episode with Ross McCumber on it, or they can um, check out some of the other stories that we've had um, where we talk to the different firefighters um, about scenes that they've been at. That's don't do or I say do both. If you're listening, go back to archives, listen to the Ross McCumber interview and read those stories on the press.net. So next up, the city of Brentwood recognized local women during the month of March for their service to the community. Most recently, Yolanda Pena Mendrick was highlighted for her work as an educator, administrator and volunteer. The city also recognized its female employees during Women's History Month with social media posts focused on the women of the Finance and Information Systems team, the Development Services team, and Associate Engineer Megan Oliveira. Pena Mendrick was the only woman recognized who did not work for the city. Pena Mendrick has been living, working, and volunteering in Brentwood for 22 years. She said even though personal fame doesn't motivate her, it felt good to be recognized. Though she had retired from her work as an administrator, Pena Mendrick said she was happy to answer a call for help last year when many local school districts were short administrators. She is working three days a week as a substitute school administrator at Highlands Elementary School in the Pittsburgh Unified School District. As she reflects on her time in Brentwood and her work, Pena Mendrick said she is grateful to the local community. And obviously, I think the most significant part of that about Yolanda specifically is that she's the one person the city recognized who didn't work for the city. So that just shows, you know, what a what a threshold she had to perform to, to oh, for the city ab- to recognize. Absolutely. Especially since, you know, she came out of retirement just to kind of help the school out because of the pandemic. Part of the reason why a lot of people became short-staffed is because you had a lot of people who were, you know, immunodeficient or people who were unable to work during the pandemic because of lockdown or things like that. So for her to come come out of retirement, you know, knowing like the risks and be like, yeah, I'm I'm going to I'm going to help out. It's a very honorable thing to do. And of course, she has a, a you know, a long history with both 
the educational uh, institutions out here as well as I think she's done a lot of volunteer work with Red Cross. Oh, she's she's done a lot of volunteer work. Aside from administrative, um, there was just a lot of community giving that she's participated in with multiple organizations um, to show that she's just been a really big part of the community. And I, I was excited. We got the story in just under the radar. This I think this went out in last week's paper and Women's Month, of course, ended. International Women's Month ended at on the end March thirty first. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it, it it was really nice that we were able to get a story out to you know about International Women's Month, especially since there are so many you know hardworking and just dedicated women in this community that really do deserve recognition. Uh, before we go to the next story, uh, let's hear a quick word from this episode's sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Coco Farms from Antioch, California, located past Main Street and before the Antioch Bridge in the direction of Rio Vista. Coco Farms is on Wilbur Avenue for anyone wishing to pay them a visit. If you're 21 and older and you haven't tried any of Coco Farms products, you're surely missing out on a good time. Normally, it is difficult to find such quality products for such a rad deal, but Coco Farms has got it in the dime bag. With a blazingly high-quality menu, customers are sure to find the right product for their needs. With over 500 different products available, they have something for every type of consumer. Coco Farms is open seven days a week and is committed to providing an unparalleled experience to their customers. With a $20 eighth deal offered most of the year, Coco Farms offers its customers fabulous products for reasonable prices. They are stationed at 3400 Wilbur Avenue and online at enjoycocofarms.com. You can also give them a call at 833-424-4283. Again, that's 833 833- Four two four four two eight three. Unwind and loosen up by paying a visit to Coco Farms, East County's number one plug. Thanks again to this episode's sponsor. Let's go ahead and just get right back into it. The San Joaquin Yacht Club's opening day on the Delta is set for Saturday, April 23rd. The theme this year is Mardi Gras. People will be decorating the starboard side of their boat and cruising clockwise around Bethel Island. All are welcome to attend. Boats will congregate in front of the club's docks at 550 Riverview Place at about noon, when Pastor Will Burns will be blessing the boats for a safe boating season. The parade should leave docks at noon and cruise clockwise around the island, heading down under the bridge, then on down Taylor Slow all the way around the island past Bethel Harbor Marina. The Rusty Porthole, Russo's Marina, and the Sugar Barge are all good viewing points, according to the organizers. The event will end up back at the Yacht Club at around 3 p.m. for an afternoon of music, dancing, awards, and dinner. The club will be giving out participation plaques for everyone who enters their boat into the parade. There will also be awards given for the People's Choice Award, Commodore's Choice Award, and Fleet Captain's Choice Award. For more information on the parade, visit the link in the episode description or go to sjyc.org. That again is sjyc.org? Yes. You know, just a moment ago I was talking about how it was too warm for April with the fire season, but I mean, it being warm in April it sounds terrific now for For yachting. boats, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> so for you for know, going really... yachting. I'm excited for the theme uh, because of Mardi Gras. I feel like a lot of people do enjoy talking about, you know, Mardi Gras and the celebration of it. Um, and so to be able to see how people are going to be decorating their boats and stuff is going to be a lot of fun because I think the last boat parade that we had, and we did have a video of it on our YouTube channel and we covered it, was I think Christmas lights on boats and it was really pretty. So I know that the people who are part of the Yacht Club and are going to be showing their boats uh, kind of do make a really good showing. Yeah, the timing is funny because Mardi Gras is in March, but obviously March is not boating weather. So it's nice that they're able to use, you know, repurpose that yes. stuff and put it on yes. the boats it's, now. It's in the spirit of Mardi Gras. It yeah, doesn't need exactly. to be on the day of Mardi Gras. <laughs> but, you know, we talked about fire before and then you mentioned it again during this last story. So we actually do have another story about a fire that broke out. 
An early morning fire that broke out at the Applebee's on Hillcrest Avenue on March 31st is being investigated by the Contra Costa County Fire Protection District as a possible case of arson. The discovery of a gas container full of a flammable liquid near a broken window prompted officials to suspect arson as the fire's cause, according to Steve Hill, a public information officer for Confire. Investigators are scouring the area in an attempt to gather surveillance on the incident. Firefighters arrived at the scene of the fire just before 4.30 a.m. to find the restaurant filled with smoke, but no flames, according to a social media post by the department. The restaurant's sprinkler system extinguished the flame, limiting fire damage to the booth area. However, there was extensive smoke and water damage to the rest of the restaurant. Further details were not made available due to the ongoing nature of the investigation. Officials have encouraged anyone with potential information regarding the case to call the arson tip line at 866 866- 502-7766. Again, 866-502-7766. And I'm actually the one who wrote that story. And I think the challenge with stuff like that is that, you know, because of the ongoing nature of the investigation, there aren't always a lot of details. And, and so I think, that, you know, the fact that there's enough evidence for them to confidently suspect arson, you know, makes it a little bit more interesting than some of these other fires that are more accidental. Since this is a case that, you know, is suspected arson, and when I was writing cop logs this week, actually, I noticed that there was another incident of arson that was um, suspected, you know, you kind of just want to stress that idea of making sure that your fire safety technology that you have in your buildings is all good, um, because it was, you know, really good that the fire department was able to get there when they did, and that not the entire building had been damaged too much, and it was really consolidated to one area, and, you know, there are fire sensors, and there's smoke alarms, and, and sprinklers, and things like that are able to be up to date is really important for people when preparing for potential fires. Right. I think in the arsons in that case are an outlier and prevention methods won't necessarily prevent it if it's an intentional thing like that. But yeah, certainly the fact that sprinklers extinguish the flame is just a good reminder that the fire yes. protection technology <laughs> is a good thing to have. Mm-hmm. Um, but I believe that you said that you had a um, an update for the Alexis Gabe case. Right. Yes. Uh, so for backstory, Alexis Gabe is the Oakley woman who's been missing since late January. Police have not had a lot of leads that they've been able to share because of the ongoing nature of the investigation. But uh, but the family, of course, has had a fairly active Facebook group. I think it has close to 10,000 followers at this point, just people helping with volunteer efforts and just fundraising efforts, just everything to help bring her home, mm-hmm. essentially. And they've been going out on searches every weekend pretty much since January. And they've been assisted by the Class Kids Foundation and Mark Class the last couple months as well. But on April 3rd, uh, the family did post a statement to their Facebook group saying that they were going to discontinue the physical searches for the foreseeable future because we're getting to rattlesnake season and, they're, and they were concerned that there weren't going to be a lot of conclusive leads brought about by the searches as well. So just for the safety reasons, they determined it was better to refocus their efforts on attending council meetings and other such stuff that will, you know, more about the fundraising part of it, keeping community awareness and I mean the the big key element to the fundraising part is they want to be able to offer a reward for information or anything mm. that leads to prosecution or her her returning home. So their first the first order of business I know on April sixth they that evening they just attended the Discovery Bay Town Council meeting mm. and they're just going to attend those just again just make public comments pertaining to the, the case. One of the most important things when you're trying to keep the case in people's minds, you know, is just constantly talking about it and getting other people to talk about it. Keeping her name in people's, you know, minds is a definite priority. Right. Yeah. There's really a lot to be said about that grassroots element of that whole thing. Mm-hmm. 
No, it's definitely shown how the community can unify and try to get something done. And I know the frustrating part, you know, if you're if you're someone, you know, following the case from a distance, like through, you know, by reading our paper or, or by following a police group or something, from the outside looking in, there's not a lot of transparency from the Oakley Police Department. Mm. But, you know, I spoke to the assistant to the city manager on the phone yesterday. And the big reason is because of the ongoing nature of the investigation. It's not that they don't want to share information, it's that at, at the risk of jeopardizing it. There's a lot of stuff that you just can't share and it might hurt the progress of the entire thing. Exactly. But yeah, but and she stressed, you know, police do have leads. They are following up on stuff every day. So even though it might from the outside looking and seem like it's slow moving, there is a lot of progress being made kind of under the surface. Yes. It's very far from becoming a cold case. That's it for today's episode of Clocked In with the Press. We appreciate you taking the time to listen in and we look forward to speaking with you in future episodes. If you would like to read more news stories of Contra Costa County, you can do so through our website at thepress.net or through our Twitter and Instagram at Press Clocked In. You can also download our free app, thepress.net, so this way you can get your news on the go. Contact us with your thoughts on this episode or any other episode before it. That's all that we have for you today, and I will speak with you all next time. This is Caitlin Gleason. And Jake Menez. Clocking, clocking out. out. If you're stressed and tired, consider plugging in at Coco Farms, East County's favorite dispensary. Coco Farms is a proud member and supporter of the Antioch Chamber of Commerce, and they are committed to being a positive influence on the community. Their $20 eighth deal that is offered almost all year promises high standard products for chilled out prices. If anyone who is 21 or older would like more information and a look into their extensive menu, visit them online at www.enjoycocofarms.com. Once more, that's www.enjoycocofarms.com.